Okay, we've been looking through uh, the catechism. And um, I was talking to Catherine. We were providentially, right, uh, hindered from getting to question 12 a few weeks ago. And uh, thankful for Calvin filling in. Uh, had a sick family last week or two weeks ago. Um, but we are here at question 12. And uh, let me read the question. And then as we've done, let's read the answer together just as a way of uh, getting it before us and, and learning it together. And then I'll read a couple key passages, and then we'll pray and dive in. So, question 12. What special act of providence did God exercise toward man in the estate wherein he was created? When God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon pain of death. Okay, it's one of those longer questions and answers, but it has so much helpful things packed in. Uh, let me read. Uh, you could just hear these and make note of them. Uh, Genesis two sixteen through 17 is, uh, let me read that for us. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then our sort of key verse is 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for helpful summaries like our shorter catechism. I pray that as we study it uh, and uh, uh, look at the passages that it points to, that we would grow in our understanding of your steadfast uh, covenant love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we get to this concept of a covenant here in question 12, and uh, already uh, the catechism is sort of assuming that you've uh, been attending faithfully this series on the Shorter Catechism. No, uh, that you've studied the catechism because it says, what special act of providence did God exercise toward man, right? We said that God is sovereign, and he acts out his sovereignty in the works of creation and providence in creating and governing all things, and now it's zooming in and saying, okay, well, What's this special act of providence that God exercised toward man? And as we're going to see, uh, it is this covenant of life that God makes with Adam. Uh, but to get there, let's uh, sort of get back in our minds of what is a covenant, and, and we'll spend a little bit of time on that. But I was thinking about my um, uh, many, many years ago uh, when my grandpa was passing away. I was over in Seattle. Uh, Amy and I were dating, and uh, we were both in school, and she would graciously uh, sort of on the on the drop of a hat, we would go drive over or take the ferry over to uh, Bremerton is where I'm from. And we would go because we thought this might be it. This might be the moment that my uh, grandpa passes away. And uh, if you've ever had a loved one who's, you know, passing away, uh, they tend to not pass away when you <laughs> when you drop everything and go see them. Uh, they're not very considerate, right? Um, but I, I had some really great times with my grandpa because of this. And uh, I remember one time just sitting at his bedside, and it felt like I was in a movie because he said, you know, I want to tell you something. And he said, um, your word is all that you have, is what he said to me. Um, I I don't remember him ever saying that at another time, but it's obviously stuck with me. Uh, This idea that um, uh, your word is all you have. Uh, You know, other things come and go, uh, but if you tell someone you're going to do something and you do it, um, or... uh, Conversely, if if you've ever lied to somebody and broken their trust, you know how hard it is 
to build that trust back up with that person. Um, and so perhaps you could think of someone in your life that that they had their word, they kept their word. Um, but even the most uh, even the most amazing of human beings, we break our promises sometimes, not even always maliciously. Sometimes we just thought we could do something, and then we couldn't, or something happened. Uh, but not so with God's promises. Uh, when God promises to do something, uh, he follows through every time. Uh, we've already seen that he's all-knowing and all-powerful. He's able to both promise and fulfill his promises. And so when we start thinking about God's covenant, um, we start to get, again, it flows right out of the character of who God is. Remember the book of Hebrews says when God uh, wanted to swear by something, he had to swear, most people swear by something greater than themselves, but God swore by himself uh, as, as this final authority. Uh, he didn't have to appeal to something else or have collateral or anything. He, when he promises, he does it. And uh, what we see in Scripture, he, he does this uh, most readily by way of covenant. So what is a covenant? Uh, the first half of this evening will just be just reminding us, sort of covenant theology 101. And then we're going to ask, what is this covenant of life that this catechism question is talking about? Because perhaps you haven't heard that term before. And so covenant theology 101. First, we have to know what is a covenant, biblically speaking. And then we'll say, is there a covenant going on here in the in the early pages of Genesis? So a covenant in the most general sense, you could probably give me a good definition too, uh, is a binding agreement between parties. Um, it, this is if we're just sort of saying, what does the word mean when applied to many different things? Uh, and so from <clears throat> in our own world, you know, from marriage covenants to pinky promises, um, it's when two people, two parties come together, make a binding agreement, right? It's more serious than, um, than other things. But when we talk about a biblical covenant, it, that doesn't quite get at it. Uh, let me read from, actually, our confession, chapter 7. Um, it, as I was wrestling through, you know, my understanding of Scripture and covenant theology, this paragraph was really key for me. In chapter 7, it says, The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has pleased to express by way of covenant. Uh, this pulls together some of the things we've talked about over the last few months. You know, this creator-creature distinction. He, he is God and we are not. And do you notice that the distance between God and the creature was so great? We're not even talking about sin yet. Just the distance between a creator and a creature. God condescends, as one author says, he, he speaks in baby talk to us, right? Now, if you're thinking of who he is and who we are. And it says he does this most readily by way of a covenant. Uh, and so it's a binding agreement between parties, but it's a binding agreement between God and his creatures, uh, which should shock us <laughs> that a <coughs> creator would make an oath-bound promise. And so, uh, O Palmer, Oh, I always say his name wrong. O. Palmer Robertson is sort of the gold standard. His book on Christ and the covenants, he he defines a biblical covenant this way: uh, a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. Um, a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. A bond meaning that, that binding nature of the agreement. It's not just a sort of flippant promise. It's a binding thing. In blood meaning this is a life-and-death commitment with life-and-death consequences. Uh, we see this most readily. Remember Abraham when he's given the covenant 
uh, in Genesis 15, and God has him cut the animals in half, and Abraham walks through, right? No. Uh, really, God himself walks through the cut-up animals. Uh, God's using a cultural practice where uh, the animals would be cut up and the parties would walk through as if to say, if I break this covenant, I need to be made like one of these animals, right? Life and death. And yet God himself walks through. Uh, not as if we could obviously harm God or kill God, but he is the one making this life and death commitment. Uh, so bond in blood, sovereignly administered. That's what really sets a biblical covenant apart is God is the one uh, who decides to make these covenants. He sovereignly makes them. He sovereignly sees them through. Uh, and so th- that's the kind of covenant that we're talking about. And so covenant theology is um, as uh, one uh, uh, Pastor Lingen Duncan says, a Bible-given way of understanding the gospel in the context of all of Scripture and its own outworking in redemptive history. Uh, so covenant theology is just, lo- is just reading our Bibles and saying, wait a minute, when you start looking for it, this idea of covenant is everywhere. Uh, this is how God relates to his people. Uh, and so we talk about two main covenants, the covenant of works, which we're going to see in a minute is the same thing here as the covenant of life. And then we talk about the covenant of grace. Um, and so it, it, those are sort of the two outworkings of the covenant. So let's, the covenant of grace is, is that, uh, you know, if, if the covenant of works uh, brings us through, you know, up through the curse of Genesis 3, and we start to see these inklings of the covenant of grace, the covenant of grace, um, I mean, I'll just read from our confession again. It's a good summary. <laughs> A man by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by the, that covenant, the covenant of works, the Lord was pleased to make a second, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein he freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, uh, obviously through faith in him. And Jesus uses this language, you know, in the giving of the Lord's Supper, this cup is, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And when you start to see not just the word covenant, but the sort of the core of God's covenant of grace with his people is what has been called the Emmanuel principle, the God with us principle. Uh, let me just give you a few, and some of you know these, but, you know, Genesis 17, again, that covenant with Abraham. Uh, I will make a, 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 I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you to be God to you and your offspring after you, and toward the end it says, and I will be their God. Or Exodus 6.3, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. I brought you out from among the Egyptians. Or Leviticus 26, um, he says, I will confirm uh, my covenant uh, with you. Sorry. Um, I will confirm my covenant with you, and toward the end of that verse it says, I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Are you seeing that I will be your God, you will be my people? Deuteronomy 29, uh, our God is making with you today a covenant that he may establish you as his people and that he may be their God. Uh, or Jer- Jeremiah, I was actually struck just this time, how many times in Jeremiah you see that phrase, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Uh, Jeremiah 24, Jeremiah 30, Jeremiah 31, uh, I will be God uh, to all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. You see it in Ezekiel, my dwelling place shall be among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And this brings some even more depth to when we hear in in the New Testament then, 
that uh, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among them, and they have seen his glory, glorious the Son of, uh, from the Father. Uh, and then, obviously, going all the way to the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so this is the sort of essence of the covenant, and really the gospel, right? That uh, I will be your God, and you will be my people, but sin entered the picture. And so how will God be our God? How will we be his people except through Jesus Christ? And that's really the covenant of grace. But our question here uh, said, uh, what special act of providence has God exercised toward man? And it mentions this idea of a covenant of life. Uh, God entered into a covenant of life with Adam uh, upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon pain of death. And so if, in in one sense, if you're uh, hopefully convinced that there's this covenant of grace that ultimately finds fruition in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what about this other covenant uh, called the covenant of life uh, or uh, in the uh, confession of faith called the covenant of works? Uh, It's been called other things, the covenant of creation, covenant with Adam, Is there a covenant in Genesis 1 through 3? If we looked at those verses, would you find the word covenant? No, we wouldn't find the word covenant. But think about it. Do we find the Emmanuel principle? I will be your God, and you will be my people. What does God do? He makes uh, people. He didn't have to. He's creator. He has total rights, but he makes human beings in his image. And it says he gives them every good tree for food. Uh, He... He uh, tells them to be fruitful and multiply. He gives them the Sabbath as a rest. He gives this solemn warning not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you start to see that aspects of a covenant are all in picture here. And if we are convinced by that catechism or the chapter seven that talks about the distance being so great uh, that God is creator, he relates to us by, by means of a covenant. I would argue that you start to see covenant language being used uh, here. Uh, in the Genesis account itself. Uh, and, and indeed, remember when Adam and Eve sin, and then they hide, uh, and then it says, you know, God came in the cool of the day. And you get this idea that that was just normal, that God would just walk into the garden in the cool of the day to be with his people, and now they hide. So now something's changed. But this idea, he was their God, and he was, and they were his people until sin entered the picture And we'll talk more in the weeks to come about sin entering the picture and how that changed everything. Um, But let me look at some of those different names for this covenant because each one sort of emphasizes something true about what's going on here. Uh, So the catechism, both the shorter and larger, say the covenant of life. And this emphasizes what was promised and what was given to Adam and Eve. So life was literally given to them, breath uh, into their uh, turning uh, dust uh, and ribs into uh, uh, life, right? Um, and then all the good things given to them, right? Uh, the very things that Satan liked to uh, uh, say, did God really say? Is God really being good to you? Uh, so life was given to them. Uh, and we think by implication, life was promised to them. Uh, so if there's a prohibition, don't eat of the, no- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, there's an implication uh, that at some point, if they would continue in obedience, which they were able to do, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, able to obey, uh, that they would enter into eternal life with God. 
So covenant of life is one uh, way we talk about this covenant. Number two, covenant of creation. Uh, and this, uh, Robertson calls it this. This is helpful in, in just helping us think about this unique time where God creates. Um, we have Sabbath. We have marriage. We have labor. These, these things that have continued even now. Uh, blessings for obedience. Um, and so it's emphasizing this, this uh, initiatory time, this covenant of creation. Or number three, it's called a covenant with Adam. And this is really helpful uh, because of our theme verse, right? As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all are made alive. And really, when I've wrestled with, is there a covenant happening in Genesis 1 through 3? It's actually this that that got me. (laughs) Uh, Because if you work backwards and say, in Christ, if I have faith uh, in Christ, that he's my savior, uh, using, you know, Ephesians and all through the New Testament, that language of being in Christ, he is my covenant head. This is the new covenant in his blood. And so that's why I'm saved, because I die with him and I rise again with him. I am in Christ. He is the head of the covenant. And that First Corinthians passage takes that and just sends us back to Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. And so you see this progression, this covenant with Adam and then with Abraham and then with Moses and then with David, all the way up to the covenant with Christ and the fulfillment. And you see, you know, creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation uh, uh, one day with him. And so this idea of a covenant with Adam, I think, is really helpful. Uh, we died in Adam. We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. And, and we're alive again in Christ. And then lastly, it, it's called the covenant of works. And if the covenant of life emphasizes what was promised, the covenant of works, that term, emphasizes what was required of Adam and Eve. Um, And uh, later in our uh, confession, it says perfect, perpetual, personal obedience. So even back then, uh, they liked, uh, you know, to use alliteration uh, to help us. Uh, They were all pastors, right, uh, gathering up there. But uh, can you imagine that? Just think about you know, just raise your hand if in the last week you have had perfect, perpetual, personal obedience, <laughs> right? And, but what's interesting is, right, it, God wasn't unjust to require this, and Adam and Eve were able to do this. So that made them very different than the condition that we're in without Christ, right? And we'll talk about that. Uh, but he's the creator. He makes creatures to glorify him. And so it, it, it only makes sense. You know, he is holy there to be holy. Um, and so this is just makes sense. This is, this is the requirement that makes sense and the very thing that they broke by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They followed the serpent and saying, did God really say, is God really good? Um, you know, it, it's that, and, and we'll talk about that, but um, so that at the very beginning, he was their God, uh, they were his people, and they broke fellowship with their creator. And as we'll see, we broke fellowship with God through Adam, in Adam. And yet, even in Genesis 1 through 3, even as the we see this covenant of works and it being broken, and by the way, the covenant of works continues. God is still God, and he requires perfect obedience of his people. And so some have, I, I think Sproul kind of famously said that uh, the gospel actually, uh, salvation actually is by works, uh, but it's by the works of Christ. 
Uh, so when Christ came, he died in our place, uh, but he obeyed in our place. Uh, where Adam disobeyed, Christ obeyed completely. And where Adam strayed, Christ set his face to go to the cross. And where Adam entertained this idea of did God really say, uh, just look afresh at Jesus' temptations in the beginning of the Gospels, where Satan goes and tries to do the same thing. Did God really say, what about this passage? And, and, and he rebukes Satan, uh, very much as Adam should have done. Uh, where Adam brought condemnation for all of his kin, Christ brings redemption for all of his brothers and sisters in faith. Where Adam was weak, Christ is strong for us. Where Adam brought death, Christ brings life. And so we see, even in Genesis 1 through 3, Genesis 3.15, and we've looked at this before, um, even as God is cursing uh, all of creation, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even as the curse is being given in the same breath, the promise is being given of this covenant of grace that Christ will come as in Adam all die. Uh, so in Christ, uh, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so though we have died in Adam, we now look to Christ, um, our new covenant head, uh, who fulfilled the covenant of works and, and gives us life again, so that just like this morning or this evening, we gather as God's people. Um, how amazing that we could say he is our God, we are his people, purchased by the blood of Christ, uh, and one day we will experience that in the full. So let's let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for your word uh, and the reminder of your unending faithfulness. Lord, where we are uh, fickle, where we make promises that fail, uh, we know that you and your word remains true uh, and is fulfilled. That it fulfills all that you uh, send it to do. We thank you for uh, condescending to not only create, uh, but to have relationship with your creatures uh, and not only that, when we fell, that you would send Christ in our place to make us your people once again. Uh, I pray that uh, we would live into that reality even this week and have sweet fellowship with you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.